Hello and welcome to the Idiot Book Nook. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm <laughs> I'm Lady Punnett. My pronouns are primarily she, her. Sometimes they, them. Today is a they them it's a kind of day. day. It's a spicy day for Lady Punnett, so to speak. And I'm Kurdishai. My pronouns are primarily she, her, with a sprinkle of they them. Today's a. It's Wednesday. <laughs> Just before we get started, Ferret says Lady Punnett's pronouns today are hot and spicy. Yeah! <laughs> Apparently. So today's going to be an interesting day for reading because just prior to this in the Twitch chat, Lady Punnett downed an entire cup of hot and spicy vegan noodles and now can't speak properly. So enjoy the shit out of this. This is going to be highly entertaining. And we birds being a butt. Hold on. We are working on chapter three of the Queen's Thief series first book, The Thief, by Megan Whalen Turner. But before we get into that, if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook, where you'll be able to find links to our podcast, you'll be able to find links to Twitch, you'll be able to find links well. to the YouTube, and all of our individual socials as well. I know why he left a little he shut on me and then flew away. <laughs> How there? How so apparently, how apparently we will bad. be right back after Critter goes to try I'm, to change your clothes. It hit, hit, my, it hit my shirt and my pants because I'm holding oh. down. Oh. Uh, oh dear. Cute, Amy. Yeah. While we're waiting for our narrator to get back, what's happened thus far? So, what happened thus last time on The Thief by Megan Whalen Turner, we had Jen and Magus, and <coughs> Magus and his two companions that he's bringing along with the party uh, struggled to get Jen onto a horse. And then they rode across the country and described how the country layout was and some of the world-building history behind uh, some of the major landmarks for where they are going. Because they are on a mission to find something for Jen to steal. And in the process, Jen has been otherwise been getting taken care of but in, so, in a way that for the readers and the listeners here to tell that Jen is being taken care of as one would a specific tool basically Jen is a tool that's a loaded statement <laughs> I don't know where to go with that <laughs> what? I'm 
I'm not I'm not gonna say anything because then I'd be getting into spoilers because I've already read this book and I have it narrated with my voice the entirety of the book on my personal YouTube channel, The Reading Dragon. If you guys wanted to check out the uh, the narration for that that I did a few years ago, technically this is kind of a revisit with the collective here, and I have been thinking about revisiting it on my own as well at some point. Uh-huh. Just need to make sure some things are securely in place before I do so. In the meantime, narrator, are you ready? Yes. Thankfully, I had a dress nearby. Take it away. I woke in the morning in one of the inn's upstairs rooms, lying on the floor. From where I lay, I could see the webbing underneath the bed next to me and how much it sagged under Paul's weight. He must have carried me in and laid me out on the rug before going to sleep himself. I looked enviously at his bed, but at least I was on a wood floor, not a stone one. There was a rug underneath me and a blanket pulled over me. I reached up with one hand and pushed the hair off my face. I usually wore it long enough to wrap into a stubby braid at the base of my neck, but it had grown beyond that in prison. Sometime during my arrest, I had lost the tie that held it, and it had been hanging down in my face and tangling into knots ever since. The previous night's rinsing had washed out some of the dirt, but the tangles were still there. I thought about borrowing a knife from Paul and cutting it all off, but discarded the idea. Paul wouldn't lend me the knife, but he cut the hair off himself, and that would be painful. Besides, I liked my hair long. When it was clean and pulled back from my face, I like to think it gave me an aristocratic look. And it was useful. I sometimes caught small items in the hair at the top of the braid and hid them there. Still matted and tangled, the hair was not aristocratic. I pushed it off my forehead for the time being and sat up. Paul's eyes opened as I moved and I discarded any thoughts of sneaking away even before I discovered that I was chained to the bed. My ankle was padded by someone's spare shirt, and locked around it was an iron cuff with a chain that looped around the leg of the bed. Only by lifting the bed, with pole in it, could I have gotten free. I wondered whose idea the shirt and blanket had been. Pole didn't seem like a man sensitive to personal comforts. I had another wash, this time with warm water and a a washroom at the end of the hallway outside the room. The Magus and his two apprentices were already there, stripped to the waist, splashing water around as they got themselves clean. They looked up as Paul and I came in, and I could see that they all three expected me to resent more... Is that what it says? To resent? Okay, to resent more soap and water. It's a thief. I washed last night. I pointed out the magus. Look. I held up my arms. I am very clean. Why am I washing again? The magus stepped stepped away from the basin that held his shaving water and caught one of my arms. He was careful to grip it above the clean white bandages before he turned my hand over 
and held it up to my face so that I could see the black dirt still ingrained in the folds of my skin. Wash. He commanded, and before I could protest further, Paul grabbed me from behind and pushed me over towards an empty basin, lying next to the others on a shelf that ran waist height along the wall. Holding the back of my neck with one hand, he lifted a pitcher with another and poured the steaming water into the basin. I, I can wash myself. I pointed out to no effect. He added a washcloth and soap and went to work on my face. When I opened my mouth to complain, I got soap in it. I attempted to slip away, but could not. The hand pole had on my neck stretched easily from one side of it to the other. He was merciless to my ruses, and I did my best to stamp on his toes in retaliation. He squeezed harder on my neck until I stopped. He soaked my shoulders and bent me at the waist with another squeeze in order to soak my back. This is starting to sound like kind of weird, y'all. Are we sure this is a PG book? It, 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 it totally is. They're, they're not going to do any funny business. Trust me. I don't want to be snuck up again like last time. It's fine. It's fine. He soaped my shoulders and bent me at the waist with another to squeeze. Sorry, there's weird windows popping up on my screen. In order to soap my back. Bent over, I saw that his knees were within reach. I might have grabbed one and thrown, one, thrown him to the floor, but I didn't try. This was no time to demonstrate unsuspected abilities. Besides, if I missed the grab, I would only look silly, and I had had enough of that. Paul rinsed off the soap with a pitcher of water. I pulled myself upright and tried to look disdainful, but the bath wasn't over. Paul marched me across the room to a wooden tub full of water and pushed my head under while. I was still howling in outrage. He lifted me out, and while I coughed, he rubbed more soap into my hair and pushed me under again. When the grip in his fingers finally lessened, I dragged myself away and threw myself, dripping water, to the, side, to the other side of the bathroom. I watched him warily while I coughed the water out of my lungs. He stood patiently while I twisted water out of my hair. When I snarled that I could have more easily washed myself, he tossed me a towel. And then he lifted one arm and gestured leisurely with a finger towards the door. His face was almost expressionless, but the corners of his mouth twitched. Jutting out my jaw to conceal the expression on my own face, I stalked down the hall and recovered my shirt and overshirt from the room where I slept. You got my pants wet! I complained as I pulled on my shirt. The waistband was soaked. Paul didn't respond. I was still pulling my overshirt over my head as I thumped down the stairs to the tap room, where the breakfast and the others were waiting. The magus and his apprentices were smiling at their food. I threw myself onto the bench and ignored them. After I had eaten one bowl of oatmeal, I combed my fingers through my hair to get into some of blah blah blah. Sorry. After I oh for fuck's sake. After I eat oh my god. I believe in you. After see Lady Punnett only has this issue when she eats super spicy foods. You have this issue just on the regular because you are triple translating in your head 24 seven. 
There is. Yeah. After I had eaten one bowl of oatmeal, I combed my fingers through my hair to get it into some sort of order. Tearing a few knots apart in the process, I divided, divided it into three clumps and wound the clumps over one another into some kind of braid. Holding the end of one braid with one hand, I looked around the tap room for inspiration. Over my shoulder, I saw a young woman at the bar. I smiled at her and circled one finger around the tip of the braid to show what I needed. When she smiled at me and waved one hand to show that she understood, I turned back to the table to meet the ferocious glare of Useless the Elder, whose name I remembered as Ambides. I didn't know what had irritated him, so I directed my puzzled look on his on my oatmeal bowl. A few minutes later, the girl from the bar arrived with more breakfast for everyone and a piece of twine to tie my hair off. As she went away, she looked over at Useless the Elder and sniffed in contempt. So I had an explanation for the ferocious glare. No friend had I made there, but I wasn't with the group to make friends. And besides, he sneered too much. I found that people who sneer are almost always sneering at me. The Magus, Pole, and the younger Useless, Sophos, were studiously eating their breakfasts. Yeah, seems like a nice girl. I said and got an angry look from Ambiades and his master. The Magus couldn't have been rebuffed by the barkeep, so I assumed that he didn't want me baiting his apprentice. Very friendly. I added for good measure before I dug into my second large bowl of oatmeal. It was a little bit gloopy, but there was butter and honey on top. There was a bowl of yogurt nearby, and I ate that as well. Sophos had a smaller bowl, and when the Magus wasn't looking, I slipped it out from under his lifted spoon and switched it for my empty one. He looked startled, and Ambiades stifled a derisive laugh. Neither the the what? what? The term is derisive. Derisive. Close close enough. Yeah, I I think that's an American Canadian pronunciation thing. Uh, Anyway. Uh, drift. <sighs> Fuck, now I fucked it up. Derisive laugh. Yeah, derisive laugh. But neither of them complained to the Magus. There was another large bowl that held oranges in the middle of the table, and I was reaching for those when I noticed the Magus's glare. I'm hungry! I said defensively, and took three. Two went into the pockets of the overshirt, and the third I peeled and was eating when the landlady arrived. She came to ask us if we wanted lunch packed, but she stopped in surprise when she saw me. I gave her my best boyish grin. I clean up nicely, don't I? I said. She smiled back. Yes, you do. Where did you get so dirty? Uh, Prison, I said. Ah, she said. People went to prison all the time. I expect you're glad to get out? Uh, yes ma'am. Especially because the food is so good. She laughed and turned back to the Magus, who was looking grim. Was there anything else that you needed, sir? Magus. Where are we? I no. I zoned out. I think I forgot my meds. It's okay. You had nothing. 
Vegas, are we staying for lunch? Was there anything else that you needed, sir? No. We'll stop in Ivicia for lunch. Thank you. Everyone went to pack up the horses, except the Magus and me. The two of us remained at the table until Pulse and Sophos in to tell us that everything was ready. There was a mountain block, mounting block at the courtyard, so I was able to get onto my horse myself, although Pole held its head and Sophos held its stirrup for me and offered advice. <clears throat> you played Pole. Uh, that might have been me, I think. Can we check the reading rolls? Reading rolls. Prison guard, King Sonus, Pole, and Moniades is you, Blaze. And apparently I was the inn owner's wife. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> you don't have to slither on that way. He said. She isn't going to move out from underneath you. She might, I replied sourly. As we rode our horses out of the courtyard, the landlady stepped out of the inn's front door. With a napkin-wrapped bundle in her hand, she reached up to stop my horse with one hand, which was pretty fearless of her, but she seemed to think it was nothing out of the ordinary. A little something to eat while you're riding. It's a long way to Avisa. She handed the bundle up to me and added as she did so, my youngest is down in the prison. Mm. Oh. I said, not in surprise. They probably hadn't bribed the tax collector or not. Uh, don't worry too much. I said as the Magus dragged my horse away. It's not so bad. I forgive myself enough to give her a real smile, but replace it with a grin when I saw her face brighten in response. Oh, what a lie that was. I added under my breath as we left the inn behind. The road curved away between rows of olive trees. As soon as we were well out of sight, the Magus pulled his horse and mine as well. He leaned across his saddle and smacked me on the head, then pulled away the bundle of lunch, which I had hung in a on a convenient buckle of the saddle. Hey! I yelled in outrage. That was for me! I don't need you chatting up every barkeep between here and the mountain. I didn't say a word to the barkeep. I pointed out in an aggrieved tone as I rubbed the spot on my head where his heavy seal ring had hit. Not a word, and I was only being polite to the landlady. The Magus lifted his hand to hit me again, but I leaned out of reach. You can keep your civility, he snapped to yourself. You don't talk to anyone. Do you understand? So, so, so. Do I get my lunch back? No, I didn't. Magus said we would have it later. I sulked for the next hour. I looked at my saddle and ignored the passing scenery. I'd seen onions before, until we rode by a field being harvested. The sweet, tangy smell woke my stomach. I sat up straight and looked around. Hey. I called to the Magus. I'm hungry. He ignored me. 
Hmm? More just mute your mic if you're gonna take a bite. Sorry. Thank you. He ignored me, but I decided against prolonging sulking. Prolonged sulking. It wasn't going to get me an early lunch. And my neck was sore from bending over the saddle. I dug one of the oranges out of my pocket and began to peel it, dropping the rinds on the road. Outside the city, I felt like a bug caught out in the center of a tablecloth. Now the world was closing back in, in a comforting way. The road rose slowly and dropped into an occasional hollow as we climbed the hills that led up to the mountains in the north of the country. The fields were small and they were surrounded by olive trees, which grew where other crops wouldn't. Individual or orchards were blending together into undifferentiated undifferentiated forests of silver and gray. <laughs> I wondered how the owners knew when their land stopped and someone else's began. On my left, Sophos asked. Sophos was me? Yeah. Yeah. Was it really not so bad? Was what? Prison. I remembered my comment to the landlady. I watched Sophos for a minute, riding comfortably on the back of his well-bred mare. That prison... I said with heartfelt sincerity. Was absolutely the most awful thing that has happened to me in my entire life. I could tell by the way he looked at me that he thought my life must have been filled with one awful thing after another. Oh, he said, and pressed his horse a little faster in order to widen the space between us. Oh, horse. <laughs> Pole continued to ride behind me. I looked over my shoulder at him and got a stony glare. I ate my orange and listened to the conversation between the Magus, Sophos, and Ambiades. He was asking them questions. He wanted Sophos to tell the, him the classification of a eucalyptus tree. Sophos went on about this and that and whether it was a fruit-bearing tree. Most of what he said, I couldn't hear, but he seemed to have gotten it right because the Magus told him he was pleased. Ambiades had more trouble with the olive tree and Magus was not pleased. Ambiades shifted in his horse a little further away from the Magus, and I gathered that cuffs on the head with that seal ring were not uncommon. The Magus asked Sophos for the correct answer, and Sophos gave, us, gave it, obviously embarrassed for Ambiades' sake. Sophos seems to have been paying attention, Ambius. Ambibides? Ambibides. Ambibides. Would you like to hazard a guess why this sort of classification is important? Said Ambibides. Do it anyway. Go on. But Ambiades couldn't think of anything else. Sophos tried to help him out. Ambiades. 
snapped Ambiety's. I put all of my weight into one of the stirrups and leaned over. I wanted to get a look at Sofo's face and see if he was blushing. He was. Try again with the fig tree. Of course. Maybe oh, of course. One paragraph up. Of course. The mag is pointed out. If you can't classify an olive, Ambities, you wouldn't know one if you saw one, would you? I leaned over on the other stirrup. Now Ambiades was blushing. He was scowling as well. Try again with the fig tree, said the Magus. Ambiades poked and guessed his way through that classification, and I lost interest. I was getting tired. I ate my second orange. Long before we reached Ibesa, I was exhausted. I complained constantly that I was tired, but no one seemed to notice. I was also hungry. I told the Magus I would starve in the saddle if I didn't get something to eat. And he finally, reluctantly, opened the bundle with my lunch in it. But he insisted on dividing it equally among Imbaides, Sophos, and myself, even though I pointed out that they couldn't possibly be as hungry as I was. Ambides nobly handed over some of his portion to me, but there was something about the way he did it that made my hackles rise. It was late in the afternoon when we reached Avisa. The Magus was disgruntled that we hadn't made better time. He hadn't reckoned on my outstanding skills with horses. There was no inn at Ibesa, but there was a woman who served food to travelers at a collection of tables on the trees in the town square. Ambiades and Sophos were equally horrified at the lunch, wrinkled olives and hard cheese, but the bread was soft and good. The yogurt had enough garlic in it to kill every vampire in the country. I ended up eating almost everything. It was hard to be picky eater in the lower city of Sunis and impossible in the king's prison. I told you that they weren't hungry. I said to Ambiades. I don't know why you didn't let me have all of the meat pies. As I spoke, he pulled the bowl filled with shriveled olives out of my hand. Hey! You'll make yourself sick, he said. I snacked a few more from the bowl as it was carried away, but I let the rest go. He was right. If I tried to force more, much more into my stomach, it was going to revolt. I tottered away from the table to a patch of grass where I laid down and went to sleep. It seemed like only a few minutes before Paul was nudging me in the ribs again with his foot. Am I Paul? No, get up. Go away. I'll get you up, he warned. I don't want to get up. I want you to go away. After he'd made sure I was thoroughly awake, I told him that I hoped he was bitten by something poisonous in the next bed he slept in. I dragged myself up on one of those tables and looked at Ambiades, who was standing with the horses. Bring mine over here, I said. I'm not moving the table over there. But Ambiades was not going to move a step at the request of a worthless and insolent petty criminal. Ambiades, I realized, was the kind of person who liked to put people in a hierarchy and he wanted me to understand that I was at the bottom of his. 
He was supposed to treat me politely in spite of my subservient position, and I was supposed to be grateful. For my part, I wanted Ambides to understand that I considered myself a hierarchy of one. I might bow to the superior force of the Magus and Pole, but I wasn't going to bow to him. Neither of us moved. Pole and the Magus went on studiously looking at the horse's legs, leaving Ambides and me to sort ourselves out. Ambides had gotten himself into an intractable difficulty, whether he knew it or not. He was bigger than I was, certainly, but he had to assume that I would put up a vicious and potentially embarrassing fight if he tried to force me over to the horse. Sophos saved him, taking the horse's reins and walking it over to the table. Ambides looked on in contempt, unaware, it seemed, that it was his dignity that Sophos had spared. Why didn't you bring a cart? I grumbled to the Magus as we rode out of town. A what? A cart. You know, a large wooden box on wheels pulled by horses. Why would I have done that? The Magus asked, amused. So that I could be sleeping in the back of it right now. I didn't plan this trip with your comfort in mind, he said sourly. Damn right. The horses ambled up the hills for another hour. The sun was setting when the Magus finally grew disgusted and asked me if I thought I could stay on the horse's back if it trotted. Probably not. I told him honestly. But by that, by, by that time, I was too tired to be optimistic. You'll have to learn sooner or later. We're not walking on... Ambidus... 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 Ambiades, he shouted. Ride back here and show him how to trot. So Ambiades, who had gotten several hundred yards ahead of us, turned around and trotted his horseback. Nice, nice seat. seat. Oh, I don't know. Nice seat. Oh, sorry. Paul was just oh. behind me and I was a little surprised that he spoke without being spoken to first. The Magus passed the compliment along to Ambiades, but he only scowled. He seemed as disgruntled by praise as he was by badgering. Now you, Sophos. The Magus called, and Sophos obeyed. Even I could see that he didn't ride as well as Ambiades. I looked back at Pole to see what his opinion was. He winced. The Magus commiserated. Too bad you can't take Abadis and Thank you. Ambiades home to be Duke and let me keep Sophos to be Magus. He's going to be a Duke? I said, surprised. One didn't usually find a future Duke as an apprentice of anyone. I didn't expect an answer, but Ambiades supplied one of a sort. I think that's Ambiades. Or I guess that's the Magnusil? If, if his father doesn't strangle him first. Ambiades was the one that said it. Oh, I thought that was the Magus. My, my mistake. Yep. Go ahead. Ambiades is you, guys. If his father doesn't strangle him first, he said. 
My lesson in horseback riding became a lesson for Sophos as well. The three of us fell back while Ambiades and the Magus trotted ahead. Paul thinks you ride like a sack of loose rocks, Ambiades told Sophos before he left. Sophos reddened, and Paul told Ambiades to get moving. A little later, we heard pieces of a lecture the Magus was giving him about plant classification and its importance. I tried to pay attention to both the lecture and the writing instructions, but eventually gave up and listened to Paul. He was explaining that the horse's shoulder lifted, not when the foot did, but when the foot came down. Now, said Paul, hold up your hand like this. Oh, sorry. That's you. I got stuck. Now, said Paul, hold up your hand like this. He held it up as if he were blessing the fields beside him. Sophos imitated him, and Paul smacked him hard on the palm of his fist. When Paul told him to hold the hand back up, he did, but he jerked it backwards, and Paul's second blow barely touched him. It was a simple lesson that my father had taught me years ago. If you think you're going to be hit, at least try to move out of the way. My father taught it to me with the flat side of his sword. Paul explained to Sophos, and incidentally to me, that if you are already rising when the horse's shoulder bumps your backside, you'll have a more comfortable ride. So we tried trotting up the road, lifting our backsides just ahead of our horse's rising shoulders, and moving a little faster forward whenever we were going. Very soon, I didn't have the strength to lift myself out of the saddle, and my brains bounced in my head the rest of the day. We walked the horses frequently to rest them, and me, but I was nearly dead by nightfall. I didn't see much of the town we were, where we stopped. It had an inn. We went in, and I ate, and before I was full, I fell asleep on the table. I woke up on the floor again, next to Paul's bed, but this time Ambides and Sophos were in the room as well, sharing the bed on the other side of me. I contemplated the undignified sort of figure I must have made as I was carried upstairs a second time and winced. Paul was awake with the first clink of my chain, and I wondered if I could have slept the entire night without shifting. I may have, or he'd woken often to check on me. When he saw that I was awake, he swung his feet out of the bed and nudged me aside in order to make room for them on the floor. Rouse yourselves. He grunted to the other two. Two and to the two in the other bed. Ambides untangled himself from the sheets and crawled out of bed. Yawning, he padded over to the chair where everyone else's clothes were piled. I'd slept in mine. Sophos didn't move. I sat up and looked over the edge of the bed. His eyelids could have been glued shut. Ambides hissed, but it was too late. Cole reached over me and woke Sophos as efficiently as he had woken me after lunch the day before. But at least Sophos landed on a soft bed. Once everyone was up, we all headed outdoors for the bench house and the bath at the pump. The sun was just rising over the hills, the sky was blue and clear, but the hollow in which the town sat was still dark. The water was cold, but I was the only one that complained. I warned Paul that if he tried to wash me again, I'd bite. Ambiades warned, teasing me in a tone just a little more condescending than the one he used on Sophos. Paul handed me a washcloth without a word and watched while I scrubbed the last of the prisoner off my, pr 
imprisoned dirt off my elbows and ankles and the back of my neck. The Magus's soap smelled of honeysuckle. Inside the inn of our inside the inn our breakfast waited, oatmeal and yogurt. There were no oranges this time. What was the thumping this morning? The Magus asked Paul as we sat down. He was looking at me. That one. The soldier answered, pointing at Salfos with his spoon. Would sleep through cannon fire. One morning he won't wake up until someone spits him on a long spear. Salfos blushed. Sleeping lightly is a necessary virtue in a soldier. The Magus pointed out to him. And it's not a fault in anyone else. So, who wants to be a soldier? Sophos grumbled at his oatmeal. Not me. I said. I said. Have, sorry, Dragon, I'm getting a lot of interference from your end. Thank you. Everyone else at the table looked at me in surprise, as if they had forgotten I could talk. Who asked you? Ambiety sneered. He did, Fuzzlet. I pointed with my spoon to Sophos while Ambiety's hand leapt to his face. He jerked it back down and asked, What would scum from a gutter know about being a soldier? I wouldn't know, not being scum from a gutter. But my father is a soldier, and it's a bloody, thankless, useless job for people who are too stupid and too ugly to do anything else. Even if my father and I have come to appreciate each other a little more, I still don't think much of his chosen profession. But I probably shouldn't have mentioned it then. My capacity for tact sometimes surprises even me. There was a perfect silence at the table, while all of us looked over at Paul to see what he would make of this insult to his intelligence as well as his manners. He remained impassive, but the Magus told me that in the future I could ignore a conversation that I was not directed that was not directed towards me, and I should keep my mouth closed unless specifically addressed. I remembered that I had been brought along as a useful sort of tool and not a human being at all. <laughs> Sit down, shut the fuck up. Also, the fucking shade, man! Yeah. So much shade. I ate my breakfast in silence when the Magus stood up and said, We'd better get the horses ready. I continued to stare at my empty oatmeal bowl until he cuffed me on the back of the head. What? I said. Were you specifically addressing me? I thought I was supposed to ignore those. I have a riding crop packed in my saddlebag. He said. Would you like me to use it on you? Kinky. Dragon, are you Say sure it. this is PG? Say it, Dragon. Say it. Ooh, Magus Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> he was bending me over and his voice was low I bet it was 
I'm not sure that anyone else heard, but I understood him plainly. Plainly, I threw one leg over the le the bench and stood up. Wait on, I said. Several extra packages were headed to our baggage before we rode away from the inn. While Ambiades, Sophos, and I watched, Paul and the Magus carefully arranged and rearranged the loads so that the horses would not be would be would not be unevenly weighted. I wondered about Paul. He wasn't a common foot soldier. Sophos and even Ambiades treated him with too much difference. The Magus clearly liked and respected him relying on him to enforce orders addressed to me. He'd probably be the one to use the writing crop if push came to shove. As we left the town, it became clear why the Magus hadn't brought a cart. There was no road for it to travel on beyond this small, nameless town, or nothing that was civilized that a civilized person used to streets of a city would call a road. The wagon track we'd been following since Visa had been carefully maintained. Its central grassy strip and verges kept cropped by the goats of each small village we passed through. That route divided, turning east to head along the foothills, or west to intersect with the main road that led to the pass through the Hephaestial Mountains. We headed straight to the onto the track that showed fewer signs of travel. We passed a few more farms, and the way and then the way narrowed even further to a skinny, overgrown path with high grass and scrubby oaks growing on either side, sometimes so close that prickling leaves caught at the fabric in my trousers. The path climbed steeply in places. The horses worked hard. In a single file, they heaved themselves uphill with constant clatter of small stone. I gripped the horse underneath as firmly as I could with my knees and worried about slipping off the back end of the saddle at every rise in the trail. I held on with both hands as well, but my arms were, no, were in no better shape than my legs, and by mid-morning, they shook with the strain. Hey, why don't we stop for lunch? The Magus looked at me in disgust. But when we reached the next space, he directed his horses onto the grass, and mine obediently followed. I tried to convince it to move onto the shade before I climbed down, but it stopped next to the Magus's horse and would not go on. Why doesn't the stand horse go where I wanted to? I asked, I exasperated. Stop jerking on the reins like that, and it, it won't move, the Magus told me. So I found, I said as I slid down. It must like your horse more than I like you. Sophos heard me and laughed. It's a pack horse, he explained. It's trained to stop next to its leader. Really? I looked at the horse beside me in surprise. Are they that smart? Smarter than you, said Ambiades, coming up beside us. I, just, I never heard of a horse that could steal a king's seal. I pointed out with a smirk of my own. That's what I meant, said Ambiades. Why don't you eat hot coals? I walked over to where Paul was taking food out of the bag. I noticed Sofo staring after me. What? 
I snapped at him, and he looked away. Ambides put the words in his mouth. He wants to know if you really are stupid enough to bet a man that you could steal the king's seal and then show it as proof the next day in a wine shop. It had been a professional risk, but there was no point in saying so. I turned my back on the both of them. We had more bread and olives and cheese for lunch. When I wanted more, the Magus said no. I can't be sure that we will have enough provisions until we get through the mountain. I looked at the packages still tied to the horses. You didn't bring enough. We should pick up a little more tonight. You won't starve. No, that's true. I said. You can always give me some of Ambiety's food. The Magus gave me an ugly look. You'll get your share in nothing else. No one's going hungry so that you can eat. I don't see why not. I said as I laid down in the grass for a nap. It had dried in the summer sun to, into crackling stalks that poked me in the arms and neck. I'm a lot more important than anyone else here. I told the blue sky above me. No one replied. And after a few minutes, I fell asleep. And thus ends chapter two, or sorry, chapter three of uh, The Thief by Megan Whalen Turner. Give me one second here. One. If you'd like to follow us on socials, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiot book nook. You'll be able to find links to all of our socials. You'll be able to find links to the podcast. You'll be able to find links to the Twitch, to the YouTube, all of that jazz. That's going to end it for this episode. If you happen to be watching on Twitch or TikTok, stick around. We will be back. But for those of you listening to the podcast, we'll see you guys next episode. For the Idiot Book Nook, I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And I'm Crittershy. We'll see you 